established as being Christ and we influence others for Christ. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you have called us to yourself. You've called us to be clothed in the virtues of Christ, that indeed we might be distinguished as yours and that as we live consistent with who we are in Christ, that not only will you be glorified, but that we will be influential in other people's lives, even in this world. And so, Father, teach us today from the, your words through the Apostle Paul, what does it mean to put on then the virtues of Christ? Bless us with an understanding of your word. Bless me with faithfulness. Bless us with ready hearts and ears. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So I am wearing a uniform. Did you know that? This is my Sunday uniform that I have on. The color of tie may change. The shirt may vary a little, but this is my uniform. For those of you who were around back in the day when Covenant would take medical mission trips to the border of Mexico, you remember we wore uniforms. What were our uniforms on those Mexico border medical mission trips? Anybody remember? Green medical scrubs. Yes, thank you, Barb. You probably still wear yours, right? Yeah, that was our uniform. We're, we were clearly identified as part of the medical brigade People could pick us out. Those uniforms distinguished us as being on the same team. And that basically is what a uniform does. It distinguishes and it identifies. Person being part of the team, being part of that profession, being, being one of those service providers, being about that or part of that organization. Now here's the question I have for us today. Do we have a uniform as followers of Jesus Christ. Do Christians have a uniform? I want to answer yes. And Paul tells us what it is today. Paul's focus in the previous section that we looked at last week, verses 5 through 11 of chapter 3, calls believers to mortify the vestiges of sin that remain, that those vestiges of sin from that old self, that old nature that we once had under Adam, but now we're a new self. And Paul says, put to death everything that is part of that residual part of that old self that is constantly plaguing you. Be on a war footing, be ready to fight, actively mortify sin. And so as we continue this series in the book of Colossians today, we, we, we look at the next thing that Paul says, and Paul says, be about vivification. Mortification is putting to death sin and put on the virtues of Christ that are consistent with that new self, that new identity that you have in him. And the theological term for that is vivification. And as we put on the virtues of Christ, we are living consistent with our behavior is consistent with our words and our thoughts are consistent with 
our new identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. We have integrity in our lives. And so today we'll look at three things. You'll find the outline on page 7 of your bulletin. Paul speaks about our identity, our clothing, our uniform, and obedience. So first, Paul identifies the believer. Look at the, the second phrase of verse 12. He identifies believers as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. These titles that are applied to us are a great honor. Blessedness, and they indicate a status of being highly favored. And they are titles of great honor because these very titles are used of Christ in the scriptures. So Christ is the chosen one, the holy one, the beloved one. First Peter 2 4, as you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. John 6, 68 and 69, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then in Matthew three seventeen, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It is an honor, it is a privilege for believers, you and me, to not only put off the old self, but put on the new self and be identified in the ways that the Lord Jesus is identified in scripture, chosen one, holy, and beloved. The call to worship this morning identifies us as chosen and holy, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see the honor and privilege that we have? in being identified in this way, ways that Christ is identified. And Paul reminds us in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you as his first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. I want us to have a sense of the honor, the privilege, the fact that these titles indicate that we're highly favored by God. It, it shows that we are in a blessed state to be as those who are chosen ones, holy and beloved. Therefore, we must not only put off the old self, fight like mad, against sin, mortification, but also put on the new self, vivification, and live up to our true self, our true identity 
in Christ Jesus. Well, this leads us to the next to a question, and the question is this: How are we to live up to the new identity of being in Christ? And Paul tells us he turns to what we are to put on, what we are to clothe ourselves with, our clothing, our new clothing in Christ, our uniform. We are to, and really Paul covers what we are to put on in verses 12 through 16, just the entire, almost the entire passage. He says that we are to put on or be clothed with the virt- these virtues, and we'll get to most of them in our time today. As with mortification, vivification is first and foremost a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it's also a responsibility that every believer has not only to fight against the vestiges of the old self rearing its ugly head in our hearts, but we are also to actively and aggressively clothe ourselves with the things of Christ, the the virtues of Christ, the things and characteristics of him and his kingdom so that we might live up to our true self, our true identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these virtues that that Paul lists for us are absolutely and perfectly possessed by the Godhead. We can say Jesus possesses them perfectly. He possesses them absolutely. And we have to acknowledge the fact that we can only possess them in a limited and imperfect way. But nonetheless, we are called to put them on and to pursue these things in our lives. And these virtues that are absolutely and perfectly possessed by the Trinity are virtues like what Bruce read about from Isaiah chapter 44, where there God speaking through Isaiah to rebellious Israel, he's speaking to us too as his rebels uh, today, And he is saying that I will have compassion on you. My steadfast love will never leave you. Yes, there is discipline. There is temporal judgment. But I love you. I am committed to you. I am merciful towards you. I have compassion on you. And these virtues that God has absolutely and perfectly, many of them are communicated to us. That is to say, we share in them in a limited and imperfect way. But as part of what Paul is calling us to put on our uniform that identifies us, that distinguishes us as being Christ. And so here's here's the list. And it's interesting that These virtues are representative. Paul is not covering every single virtue of Christ that we are to put on, but just a a representative number, a fairly significant representation, by the way. But all of these virtues 
not only come to bear upon our relationship with God, but also our relationships with one another. Just like the, the, list of five, the, the second list of five sins from last week, these are sins that crop up in relationships. Well, these are virtues that are to be very much part of our relationships together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do, are we to understand all of these, these virtues? Well, here, here's a suggestion. So in the winter when it's cold, and I've been thinking about the winter and cold of late with the heat and sweat of our days, but in the winter when it is cold, how are we told to dress? We are told to layer clothing on us, right? That, that principle of layering. And I would suggest we understand the Apostle Paul doing a very similar thing here. Is that Paul said, here's your uniform, here's your clothing. This is what you're to clothe yourself with as those who have a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. You identify with him, distinguish as his, and layer up, brothers and sisters. Put these things on. You want to look like the Michelin man with so many layers on. So there's no doubt whose team you're on. Your uniform says you're on Jesus' team. And because you're on Jesus' team, know it or not, you're influencing others. All right, so let's look at these. I'm not going to go through every single one of these virtues, especially the first five. You can drill down on those yourself. But I certainly want to mention them in verse 12. Compassion, we've already talked about that. Kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Patience, patience is another fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Now we will drill down on patience. Why? Because Paul drills down on patience. Look at verse 13. He singles patience out. That, that believers are to be patient with one, with one another. Paul says that you are to bear with one another. And how are we to bear with one another? Well, in many ways, but the chief way, Paul says, that we are to bear with one another is being forgiving. Exercising forgiveness when we are wronged. And even when we are betrayed by a brother or sister. Now, the false teaching in Colossae, which is the historical context that is in the backdrop of Paul's letter here to the, the believers in Colossae, the situation there with this false teaching, it was ripe for believers wronging one another, even betraying one another. But isn't it true that in our church, in our day, in the church, in every age, that the situation is ripe for brothers and sisters to wrong one another, even betray one another. And what Paul is reminding us of is this. In our relationships, patience that is demonstrated by forgiveness is key and critical and always the context. Because we so quickly and easily 
offend one another. The word translated forgiving here means a canceled debt. And then Paul adds this, that we are to forgive because the Lord has forgiven us. The Lord has canceled our many, many debts. To be forgiving of a fellow believer is a powerful way of being identified with Christ. It is a very prominent part of our uniform because of what Christ has done for us in, in forgiving and canceling the debt of all of our sins. And we should put on bearing with one another and being forgiving. Paul focuses on this in particular. We need to focus on it in particular. So is there a fellow believer you need to forgive? Is there a fellow believer you know you have wronged that you need to go to and ask for forgiveness? Get that debt canceled. It's part of being identified with Christ. Then in verse 14, Paul highlights what he says, not only here but in other places of Scripture, what is the chief or supreme virtue that we are to put on. It's part of the list of spiritual gifts in Galatians 5.22. Earlier in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul defines love as this, the motive and the power behind faith. Look at verse 6 of Galatians 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, Paul defines love as the greatest virtue. Look down at verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love distinguishes us uh, as being born of God and knowing God. In other words, if we love, then that's an indication, not a guarantee, but it's an indication that we're born of God. It's also an indication that we know God. We know who he is. We know that he is what? Love. And so 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Thus the Apostle Paul says, above all, Verse 14, put on love. It's the chief virtue. Paul describes love as the chief virtue as binding all the other virtues together into a single harmony. Love is the hub, we might say. And everything turns around this virtue of love. Love is the link of all the virtues and binds all graces together. And so as we're putting on these virtues, like we might dress for cold weather, layering up that 
clothing, surely Paul is telling us that the, the outer garment is to be the garment of love. Love is to be between us and God. Love is to be between us and everyone else first and foremost. What people should see in us is love. What people should hear from us is love. Our actions, what people feel, should be what? Love. The outer layer, the chief virtue is love above all else. How are we putting on love? Verse 15, another virtue. We're commanded to let the peace of Christ dwell and rule in our hearts. Now, the peace to which Paul is referring to here could be replaced with the word salvation. Christ brings peace by bringing salvation. I believe that's what Paul is pointing to here. So we could say that Paul is commanding us to let the peace of Christ that brings salvation rule in our hearts. And that word rule is kind of interesting in that, th think of an umpire. Now, you might want to say baseball, calling balls and strikes, but, but the umpire really determines the outcome of the game, doesn't he? And so he kind of rules and determines that outcome. And, and what Paul is saying here is that the peace of Christ in Christ's saving work that we have received should rule, should be calling balls and strikes in our lives, should govern every aspect of how we live, should determine our actions, our words, our thoughts, the outcome. The peace of Christ, man alive, do we need a word about peace today? Much of our world is just overcome by fear and distress. Here we are in another surge of the Delta variant. There is cultural and civil unrest and it's, there's so much of it, it's hard to keep track of who's on what base. There is crime, an increase in crime across our country. There is evil in more forms than we can calculate in our world today. There are uncertainties in just about every category of human thinking, not only the economy, but think of all of the uncertainties that we face about our future. And here Paul says, hey, you Christians, you've got this uniform, you're layering up with these virtues of Christ. And by the way, put on the peace of Christ as you live in a chaotic and tumultuous world. And 
what I would say is, wow, what a distinguishing mark is this for the Christian, not ignoring all of the adversity and the uncertainties and all the rest that, that does promote fear, but the Christian faces it and has peace that can pass everybody's understanding. In our day, peace is such an identifying mark for the Christian being in Christ. Are we being ruled by Christ's peace? Are we letting the peace of Christ rule? Are we recognizing that Christ is our peace? That our peace is present and ruling not only in our lives, but over the cosmos today, as we've already talked about in the book of Colossians. Are we being ruled by the peace of Christ that not only says Christ has come to give you peace, but Christ has come to bring you into the sphere of his peace? You may say that, you, that we're living in a, in a stressed out, tumultuous world, and we are, but we live in a bubble in many respects, and that bubble is the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is reigning and ruling over all. In other words, we are living in peace with Christ, and we are living in the sphere of his peace, even though the world around us seems like it is imploding on itself. But we know the outcome, don't we? We know the outcome, and the outcome is the glorious news Jesus wins, and along with Jesus, his people win, and his kingdom is forever. You know, brothers and sisters, when we're, and I'm so sometimes discouraged as I look at all of the craziness in our world. But I need to be reminded, man, I'm living in the sphere of Christ's peace. And nothing can touch me from an eternal perspective. I'm at peace with God, and I live in his peace. This church is living in the sphere of Christ's peace. Let's put on peace. And today, if you're in fear... I get it. I really do. But you need to be reminded that your identity is in Christ. And Paul says, put on that, that layer of Christ's peace and be ruled by that, not by this fallen world and the circumstances of it. Well, I have another layer, believe it or not, verse 16. The Apostle Paul commands us, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And Paul means the word about Christ, the, the gospel message that the Colossians 
had heard. And it's kind of interesting, the Colossians, at, at, at that particular time, the Bible had not been canonized. In other words, they didn't have the 66 books of the Bible they could turn to like, like we do. That was still during that, that, that time when, when God was speaking his, they had the Old Testament, of course, but God was speaking his word through those, those New Testament servants. And it was being, being written down. And so they were largely in an oral tradition just for a brief period of time, hearing these things about Christ, hearing the truth about Christ, hearing the gospel preached to them. But for us today, of course, this means let the word of Christ dwell richly in your heart. We've, we've got the full Bible, the complete, authoritative, infallible word of God at our disposal, even on our digital devices. There is no reason in the world why the, the word of Christ should not be dwelling like mad in our lives today because of the access to it. The word is to dwell in you because you've heard it, you've learned it, you've received it, and you've accepted it as true by God's grace. And then Paul says that word is not only to be received by you and accepted, it is to flow out of you in teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In particular, Paul says that the word of Christ is to, is, is to dwell in you and to dwell in you so profoundly that it overflows in rich hymnody. That's what he says. That in the context of worship, the songs, hymns, and spiritual songs are to be a function of this virtue that the Apostle Paul is saying the church is to put on. Now remember, the songs, hymns, and spiritual songs had a little bit of different import in the day of the Colossians because they were primarily an oral tradition for a time at this time, and they were able to sing these biblical truths to one another, but it's still true today that our hymns are a rich and powerful way for us to declare the gospel truths to one another, to teach and admonish one another. In other words, we, we, we might say that, that the beautiful music of the gospel welling up in our hearts, where is it to go? Is this building pressure and pressure and pressure? The only way, the only place for it to go is to break forth in beautiful hymnody that is consistent with the word of God that teaches and admonishes one another. We hear the word preached, left brain function. But we sing the word right brain function. We're whole brain worshipers. That's what Paul is getting at here. I am always concerned with believers who say, why do we sing so many hymns? Or, why do we have to sing? Because... Paul reminds us it is one of the primary ways that we let the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts to overflowing in gospel hymns, in biblical truth. I 
our hymns need to be robustly theological. They need to drip with Jesus. And they need to reflect that beautiful melody of the gospel in our hearts. May we take every effort to let the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts in every way. But in particular, may we take every opportunity to sing the gospel, teaching and admonishing one another. Is the word of Christ dwelling richly in us to the extent that we can't help but talk about it? And when given the opportunity, irrespective of our ability, musically, that we can't help but break forth singing about it. I believe if the unsaved world really peeked in the windows and heard the people of God singing in the way that the Apostle Paul encouraged us to do here, they might say, wow, those people have a deep faith. They really believe that stuff. You see, it's a layer of clothing that identifies us with Christ. And when God's people truly worship him in the power of the Holy Spirit, according to his word, it's influential in the world. Paul commands us to layer up compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness, peace, ruling, the rich word of Christ, and there's one more, the last virtue. We find it in verses 15, 16, and 17. Be thankful with thankfulness. And Paul says, and giving thanks. We began with the first point, the honor and blessedness and the favor that God has bestowed upon us by identifying us the very same ways that Christ is identified, chosen one, holy, and, and beloved. And he did this not because it is our right to be so identified, but because he has loved us and he has given us a great privilege. You know, I was told one time as a young pastor, hey, listen, you serve as a pastor not as a right, but as a privilege. Understand the privilege is bestowed, the privilege can be taken away. Now, I'm not suggesting that we can lose our salvation, but I think we need, we, we need to approach this as I'm identified with Christ. It's not my right, it's my privilege. And when we, when, and when we view that as a privilege, what wells up in our hearts is thankfulness, gratitude, a virtue I would commend to you that needs to be part of our uniform. All right, last point, our obedience. Just a brief word here, verse 17. 
Paul ends with this universal scope. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here again, we see the centrality of Christ, as we've seen throughout the book of Colossians thus far. In all things, we are to do all those things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I see this as we are to radically be devoted to Christ and obey him. It is a radical obedience to which Paul has called us to in verses 5 through 17 of chapter 3. We are called to obedience to fight the vestiges of sin that remain in us. We are called in obedience to put on, to pursue these virtues of Christ that identify us with him. We are called to radically obey in clothing ourselves as well as fighting against sin. Whatever we do, both in mortification and vivification, we might say, we do in the name of the Lord. We do by his power. We, we do in obedience to his command. We do chiefly for his glory, not our own. And we can look at it from another angle and say that Christ is glorified by clothing us in his uniform of grace. Our identification with him, our being on his team, yes, it is for our good, but chiefly it's for his glory. May we radically obey in whatever we do by putting off the old self and putting on the new. While checking out of a store recently, I greeted the clerk and asked how she was doing. And this is how she responded, blessed and highly favored. I expressed agreement and appreciation. This clerk was in the uniform of the store. There was no doubt whose team she was on. But I began to wonder by what she said, well, maybe she's also on another team a more important team. I have no earthly idea what was behind this statement that this lady made. But what I do know is that in the most mundane moments of life, checking out of a store, words were spoken that influenced me and got me to thinking. I began considering, <laughs> what? this lady's right. I am blessed to be identified with Christ, to be in him. I am highly favored to be given the privilege to put off sin and put on Christ. Excuse me for that outburst. There's a Holy Spirit wind coming <laughs> right from my mouth. <laughs> you know, we need to be reminded of our blessed state, of our being highly favored by God. And I was reminded by a clerk in the most mundane of moments. She just said, blessed and highly favored. I thought, what a great 
answer to the question, how are you doing today? But it also got me to thinking. It got me to thinking, do my words, does my manner of life, what I'm clothed with, does it signal that I'm on Christ's team? I may have my uniform on Sunday morning, but my real uniform are the virtues that we talked about this morning that identify me with Christ. And if I'm identified with Christ and I'm on his team and I'm being obedient in his name, clothing myself with the virtues that are virtues that, are, that describe him in the scriptures and are now bestowed upon me as his, is my life influencing others for Christ? I was reminded of the honor, the blessedness, the high favor that God has bestowed on me by identifying me with the Lord Jesus Christ. Being clothed with the virtues of Christ distinguish us as being Christ and influences others for Christ. Let's layer up. Let's pray. Father, so much more could be said. This text, it has much and many consequences. Father, I pray for each one of us here today, for those who are with us online. I pray for our church that we would be about the business in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, fighting the vestiges of sin that remain in our lives, mortification, and that we would be about the business with every fiber of our being and all of our strength to put on, to clothe ourselves with the virtues of Christ, our uniform that we would be identified with Christ, that we would be seen as being on Christ's team, and that the watching world would be influenced for Christ. So work, I pray, in my life and in our lives. In Jesus' name, for his glory and for his sake we pray. Amen. Please take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 565.